So this is the third Sunday of Advent, and uh, Advent is the season when we prepare for the Lord's coming. So what, is, what does that mean for us, and um, how do we do that? Uh, let, me, let me start us off with prayer this morning. Lord, thanks so much for your presence. Thanks for Jesus. Father, um, we pray that um, you would use this time. We give you permission. We break open our chests this morning, and we pray that you would use this time to prepare our hearts for, for Jesus, to come more fully in our lives, to occupy more territory in our lives, to, to govern more fully over us, all of us, body, heart, will. We, uh, this morning, we surrender all that we know of ourselves to all that we know of you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thomas, I don't know if my reading is in, if the Mark 1 reading, I can't remember if it's, yes, it is. So Sally read us this for us this morning already, but I want to read this again because I want you to be able to follow this as we work through this this morning. This is how Mark, uh, in his biography of Jesus, this is how he introduces the topic, how he introduces the life of Jesus. This is really interesting for several reasons. So I'm going to read Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 8 for us again. And let's go old school and stand out of reverence for God's word this morning. Mark 1, 1 through 8. The beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It is written in Isaiah the prophet. Really interesting note already. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John came, baptizing in the desert region, region and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me will come one more powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I will baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. You may be seated. So technically, the Christmas story begins before the cries of the baby Jesus, before the star over the house, before even the journey of Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem. Technically, the story begins with John the Baptist. And that's how Mark introduces his biography of Jesus, as, as we heard Sally a moment ago, and as I just read. John and Jesus were related. They were probably cousins. And John first met Jesus when he was still in the womb. Mary was pregnant with Jesus. Uh, Elizabeth was pregnant with John. And Mary went to visit her relative Elizabeth. And uh, Elizabeth reports that the, the baby John leapt in the womb when uh, he was encountered Jesus. Let's hear this account. This is from uh, Luke chapter 1. At that time, Mary got ready, hurried to town in the hill country of Judea, Judea, where she entered Zachariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women. Blessed the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? This is just incredible. 
As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord will fulfill his promises to her. Now, maybe Elizabeth got a little carried away with her own sense of joy over her pregnancy and over Mary's pregnancy, or maybe she was right. I mean, maybe, maybe Jesus engenders so much joy that it penetrates the womb. It, it's even in circumstances like that. And because of Jesus, this kind of joy is available to all of us. Because of Jesus, this kind of joy is available to all of us if we prepare our hearts for it. Here's what I mean. I love this. John Piper once said, what John the Baptist did for Israel, Advent can do for us. That may be why Mark begins his whole biography uh, with the account of John the Baptist. So what did John do for Israel? Well, he prepared Israel for Jesus' coming in at least four distinct ways. And today, let's contemplate those four ways as a personal preparation for Jesus in our lives. Number one, John called Israel to make straight paths for the coming king. You remember that? John quoted the prophet Isaiah saying, a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And this is very interesting. Mark was writing his account to a Roman, almost exclusively Gentile audience. And as a result, Mark doesn't really rely on Old Testament quotations, unlike Matthew, for instance, who was writing to a Jewish audience full of Old Testament quotes, not Mark. But, but right here at the beginning, he mashes up two quotations together, one from the prophet Malachi, one from the prophet Isaiah, and he introduces his whole topic with that. I think, by the way, he says it's written in Isaiah because Isaiah was by far the most often quoted Old Testament source. Perhaps even these Gentile Romans had heard of Isaiah. So it's interesting that he uses this quote right here, right at the beginning. I suspect it's because this quote was well-known and epic. And Mark wants to tie the events from the beginning. Mark wants to alert his audience that he's tying the events of Jesus' life to something epic and to its long history. He seems to be saying, this is, this is the long-anticipated event, people. God has been preparing his people for this for centuries. For this. He's trying to prepare his audience in the same way that John prepared his contemporaries. And in the same way that we should prepare for the coming of our Lord in our lives. Look, in the ancient world, making straight paths, as you might expect, this was a way of easing the entrance to a, to a, a usually a larger town for a visiting dignitary, often someone like a conquering hero. Uh, it was a way of signifying a grand welcome. You know, you remove the rocks, you level the ground. It's also kind of like a souped-up version of playing rock songs at political rallies. It just, it got the crowd juiced up and ready for what was coming. John was using this as an analogy and a graphic, very effective analogy to communicate, hey, get ready, the Lord is coming, get yourself in gear, get your life in order. And we need an expect, we need an expectation and an excitement about Jesus. We need to make straight paths for him. We need to get ready. We need to create welcome for him in our lives into every area of our lives. That's what Advent should be about, getting ready for Jesus. And we know how to do this. We know how to get ready. Think of everything you're going to do and have already done to celebrate the commercial side of Christmas. 
You're going to buy presents. You're going to decorate the home inside and out. You're going to play Christmas music, some of you constantly, for weeks. You're going to wear ugly sweaters and socks. You've got family traditions. You, you lay out cookies or the special Christmas Eve meal or hide the Santa or the secret Santa or elf on the shelf. You'll build anticipation and excitement and you'll enjoy doing it. You'll be anticipating your own experience. You'll be essentially making straight paths. You and I know how to do this. We know how to remove rocks and level hills and raise the valleys. I mean, we string up lights outside of our house and in the bushes and on the house. We know how. So what are we doing to prepare for Jesus? What steps are we taking to welcome him this season? Husbands, uh, what are you doing to, to help your wives be ready for Jesus? Parents, what are you doing to help your children be ready to anticipate Jesus? Personally, what are you doing for yourself? What, what, what devotional are you reading? Or what, what book are you reading right now? Maybe you're watching The Chosen. Have you seen that? Maybe you're re-watching that. Or you're making lists of things that you're thankful for. We know how to do this. So how are we using Advent this year? We've got two weeks left. Let's make straight paths for Jesus. The second thing John the Baptist did is he, he called Israel to repent. He called Israel to clear their spiritual decks. He came, Mark said like this, uh, preaching a baptism of repentance. In this Advent season, you and I need to clear our spiritual decks to prepare for the coming of Jesus. The first step in our spiritual life Listen, the first step in our spiritual life is always repentance. If you've been away from a connection with God, and some of you have for a while, the first step back is always repentance. If you, if you long to go deeper with him, you feel the need to just go dig down deep, the first step is always repentance. Repentance means to change direction, to go another way, to do it differently. It means recognizing that something about what we've been doing has held us back. We, we, we haven't taken steps forward in our relationship with God, or maybe our relationship with significant others, or maybe in the good work that God has prepared for us to do, even our careers. We, maybe we feel stuck. Maybe we've lost the narrative. The, the, we, the way forward is always through repentance. We need God to show us the impediments, the blockages, and we need to turn away from them and do it differently. Years ago, Diane and I knew a woman named Mary. Uh, and we thought Mary was a street person. She acted like it. And frankly, she looked like it and she smelled like it. Uh, she started coming to our church regularly. And at a certain point, we found out that Mary was in deep trouble. Won't go into how or why, but just a very, a lot of trouble. And, and uh, among other things, she was being evicted from her apartment. Again, we didn't even know she had an apartment. Uh, it, was, it was hard to get a handle on even what Mary's issues were, probably a lot of mental health issues and, and much more. At some point, Mary's family got involved. And I was asking Diane about it this week, and we can't remember how that happened. We may have even been the ones to get in touch with them, but it was, we were shocked to find out that Mary's sister was actually very well off and very much wanted to take care of Mary. 
But Mary's life was so chaotic and out of control, her family didn't even know where she was, much less how to step in and help her. Anyway, somehow, Diane and I agreed to be part of helping get Mary out of her apartment and uh, into a new place that her sister was arranging for. And at that point, we found out Mary was a hoarder. Now, I didn't even know there was such, I didn't know what that was until, you know, we went into uh, Mary's apartment. But my goodness, her her place was, uh, it, it was difficult to even move from room to room. The piles started in the middle of the room and just went up almost to the ceiling in, in every room. Uh, furniture, cover, the, the kitchen stove was, co- you couldn't even see the appliances. There was a path through each room, but really there was nothing, no other empty space. Mary could not move forward. She literally couldn't be moved. She couldn't even be helped until her home was cleared. The mess had to be dealt with. And literally, for Mary, the first step was admitting it and allowing someone to come in and help her. The same is true for us spiritually. In order for Jesus to have free reign in our lives, we have to clear away the debris. We have to repent. This has to be a regular practice for us. Now, this does not mean that we have to be perfect before we... Jesus will enter into a relationship with us. This does not mean that we have to have it all together before Jesus will enter into a relationship with us. Quite the opposite. He he enters when we are a mess. In fact, he is the cleanup crew. Repentance doesn't mean getting it all right. It means acknowledging that we aren't getting it all right. It means asking God for help because we can't do it without him. It was brave of Mary to invite us into her home. It was also very difficult for her. I mean, literally, as we're we're going through this, we would find McDonald's receipts that Mary didn't want to throw away. But the work had to be done to enable her to move forward. The important thing to remember about this is the parts of our lives that are not surrendered to him cannot be of use to him and therefore cannot be of use spiritually. The parts of our lives that are not surrendered to him cannot be of use to him and therefore cannot be of use spiritually. These parts are impediments to us. They block us from moving forward. We've got to clear the debt. Let's find some time this week to engage in sober self-examination. This is part of the Advent season. What's holding me back in my relationship with you, God? What's holding me back in my other key relationships, maybe with my spouse? What's preventing me from moving forward fully in your will? What what mess have I stored and where is it? Let's turn away from those things. Let's do it differently. All right, third, we're going to hunker down really on the same thing, but more specifically, John prepared them by calling Israel to repentance for forgiveness of sins. Now, we just hinted at that and everything we just said, but Let's, let's make that more than a hint. That second part for forgiveness of sins, that part we should be really clear about. Don't miss this. Because it's not just our general messiness that we have to deal with. For instance, it's not feeling bad about ourselves that we need to repent of. There's, that's something that gets a lot of attention these days. Books are written, seminars are offered helping us feel better about ourselves, but that's not the core of our problem. 
And it's not the areas where we've been a victim that have to be cleared up. This gets a lot of attention these days, but turns out this is not our biggest problem. It's not the trauma we've experienced or the mental health issues we struggle with. These are not what separate us from our God. John came to the people of Israel preaching repentance from sin. And this is how we need to prepare for Jesus as well. Dr. Larry Crabb said it best, I think. He defines sin like this. Any effort to make life work without dependence on God. So think of all the habits, all the patterns of relating, all the distractions we engage in, all the worrying, all the effort we exert to make life work without dependence on God. Now we should deal with our mental health issues. They can sideline us if we don't. We should be honest about that and seek help. This is important work to our overall health. We should also deal with areas where we've experienced trauma. You know, the latest research, I'm sure you've seen this on on the brain and its connection to the body is teaching us more and more about how trauma actually buries itself in our bodies. And we carry it with us whether we know it or not. And it can hamper our overall performance and our inner relationships. These are important issues, but they are not the central issue. They are not what separate us from God. God is with us in those places. He wants to walk through those things with us. He he wants to shed light into the darkest corners of our lives. He wants to free up the wounded and bound up places in us. The central preventative issue for us is sin. In other words, please don't miss this. The central issue is what we have done to others and to ourselves, often in our wrong-headed attempts to deal with our pain and our mental health and our trauma. We've tried to be our own solution, our own savior. This is what separates us from our God. This is what he carried to the cross. This is why Jesus plunged himself into human messiness. And this is what died with him on the cross. So when when we continue to cling to this stuff, we're clinging to a dead and rotting corpse. What do I mean by this stuff? Let's get even more specific. I mean the anger we employ every time our feelings are hurt. We've never let God deal with the deepest hurts in our lives, so we lash out. Or we get excessively defensive every time someone or something comes near to causing us pain. Or it may be the, the nightly glass of wine or three we use to relax. It may be the extra shopping we squeeze in or the illicit images we surf. It may be our absolute absorption in work. If we're honest, some of us let that define us. We let work define us. You know your habits, usually secret. You know your ways of dealing with the pain or the stress, your way of stuffing or avoiding the past, your that's just the way I am characteristics that end up hurting those around you. You know this stuff. And this is the stuff that separates us from our God. This is the ever to make life work apart from God. This is the rotting, dead corpse that we cling to. And this is what we need to repent of. And we can't solve this. We can't can't think 
or plan or work our way out of this. We need a savior. And fortunately, we have one. That's what we prepare for during Advent. So let's, let's cry out to our Savior this Advent season and ask for the forgiveness of our sins. I want to drill this point for a second because it's so important. So I know this, is, this will be perfunctory for many of us, but I, I, I encourage us to... Um, I don't know, capture this moment and make it real. We're going we're gonna to do a corporate confession together. We're going to spend a minute preparing ourselves to prepare ourselves. We're going to take some time right now and go to him. This is such a critically important work. So I'm going to ask if you would to stand with me. Thomas, I think I've got it in the slide deck. So bring up the confession if you would. And we will say this corporately. We'll linger for a moment at the end. And then we'll, we'll go with number four, the fourth thing that John the Baptist did. Choir, let's confess our sins together. We confess that we have sinned, and you're going to read it with me, by the way. And while we're reading it, we're going to do some work. We confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left done. We have not loved you with our whole heart, and we have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry, and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. Let's pray. In each of our minds and hearts right now, Lord Jesus, I pray that you would Name it. We welcome you. We are embarrassed and we do not want you to see the McDonald's receipts, much less the giant trash bags. But bravely, we ask you to name it. We receive your forgiveness and we rejoice that if we confess our sins, you're faithful and just and you'll forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen. You may be seated. All right, the fourth thing that John the Baptist did is he prepared them that a greater one was coming, the long-expected one. In this way, he would, John the Baptist was essentially Jesus' hype man. You remember what he said at the end? He said, after me will come one more powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. He wanted his audience to have a clear vision of the greatness of Jesus. That's what's going on here. Now, this is pretty dramatic imagery. Not just, I'm unworthy to wear his sandals. I'm not even, I'm not even worthy to untie the laces on his sandals. But the next sentiment is even more powerful. I'll baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now, John the Baptist was not demeaning water baptism here. In fact, followers of Jesus continued to water baptize people, and we still do that here at Gateway, just like the earliest Christians did. Every time someone makes a brand new decision to put the governance of their life in Jesus' hands, we baptize them. And, and Jesus himself submitted to baptism. This is not a shot at baptism. John is using this as an indication of the greatness of Jesus, the newness of Jesus, the unbelievably shocking 
whole different way of doing religionness of Jesus. John is telling us that Jesus is going to bring a new kind of connection to God. It will not be symbolic like baptism. It will be real and palpable and epic. It will be the ushering in of a whole new way of relating to God. It will be a baptism with the Holy Spirit. In effect, God himself will join us, will live with us, will live in us. We will literally be immersed in him. This won't be religion according to what we do. It will be the religion of what God has done for us. And Jesus is going to usher all of that in, people. In other words, Jesus is great. There's simply no one like him before or after. So this Advent season, we need to acknowledge Jesus' greatness, his supremacy over everything. This past week, uh, my wife, Diane, she's an attendant secretary uh, at an elementary school in Ashburn, and uh, she meets uh, and does periodically a devotional with a, a group of teachers in the school. And uh, she asked me to come this week to do the devotional, um, which I did, even though it was like at the crack of dawn. So I got up, went to her elementary school, and did a devotional this week for this uh, group of teachers. Uh, and we did a devotional in Colossians chapter 1. So, Thomas, I want you to bring up Colossians 1, if you would. And let's uh, uh, take a moment and read this. If you are at home now or you're watching this later, take a second and read Colossians 1. As they were reading it, I asked them uh, to make note of what phrase about this, what phrase in this stood out to you. So, read it now and look. This is the Apostle Paul essentially sing, uh, singing what might have been a, a well-known chorus or hymn f- for them. And uh, read it and think about what phrase jumps out at you as you're reading it. I have to tell you, I gave them a moment to read it. And at the end, I said, okay, what phrase jumps out at you? And the, the, the thing that struck me the most was um, one of the teachers said, you know, I don't think I've ever noticed before all things have been created through him and for him, her emphasis. She said, that blew me away. Everything was created for him. It's all for him. Quote, it seems like he's the point. And I said, I think he is. I ended by making the observation that this is how reality works. Jesus is supreme. That's how reality works. The Apostle Paul is reporting reality. And you and I will live much more effectively if we live in alignment with reality. If we decide, for instance, reality operates on the basis of the law of gravity. That's one of the things that that operates within our reality. And if we decide we're just going to ignore the law of gravity, it will not go well for us. Reality operates with Jesus supreme over everything. And when we align our lives with that reality, it goes well for us. When we don't, it does not. Let's make straight paths for him. Let's repent of the mess. Let's clear the deck. Let's let's repent of our sin. And let's keep his greatness in mind as we prepare for his coming. Let's pray. Uh, 
Oh, thank you, Lord Jesus, for a, a season to think about this, to contemplate this, to, to prepare for you. And I pray this morning we surrender ourselves to the work that you need to do in us and with us. For some of us, Lord, we need to think about how to make straight paths for you this week. We have been so frenetically busy. We have not cleared the ground for you. And that's the point of it all. That's the point of it all. So call us... I mean, give us some specific instructions. Give us creativity. Give us ideas. We know how to do this. So help us to prepare. Others of us, Lord, we have some work to do on the mess in our lives. So we, we surrender ourselves to you. We humble ourselves before you. And we, I, Father, we, we help us be brave and allow you to enter in and clear up the impediments to free the logjam. And for others of us, Lord, it is the reminder, the profound reminder that you are great. <laughs> that this whole, this story, this whole business is an exercise in unimaginable humility because of your greatness. So we celebrate it. Call us out.